Welcome to the podcast, Restore Yourself, Restore Your Marriage, where it's all about discovering the thoughts that get you in the mood, the thoughts that get you out of the mood, and how creating a deeper connection with yourself creates a deeper connection with your spouse. I'm your coach, Shelly Anderson, coaching you through life, love, and intimacy. This is episode number 22, Personal Intimacy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for today's episode, where we are going to explore one of the 20 different types of intimacy, personal intimacy. Now, this might not mean what you think it's going to mean. From a life coaching perspective, personal intimacy is going to mean being familiar with your own deepest thoughts, your own deepest feelings, your own deepest wants, as well as your style of emotional desire, style of physical arousal, and intimate wishes. This will also include knowing the traps that you fall into, your own personal weaknesses, as well as your self-care needs. Now, if we go back to the roots of the word intimacy, we know it means the inward and innermost parts of ourselves and to make things known. But let's take things a step further and look at the word personal and what exactly it means when it comes to personal intimacy. Now, the word personal can be defined as of, affecting, or belonging to a particular person rather than to anyone else, of or concerning one's private life, relationships, and emotions, rather than matter connected with one's public or professional career. It also means proceeding from a single person, carried on between individuals directly, relating to the person or body, relating to an individual or an individual's character, conduct, motives, or private affairs, being rational and self-conscious, intended for private use by one person, and finally, relating to personal property. So these definitions are really good, and what really stands out to me here is that the word personal has to do with each of us on an individual level, with all of the particulars that make us unique. Now, of course, there are going to be things that apply to people in general. But when we start to talk about intimacy, and when we want to enhance the intimacy we are experiencing in our own marriage, we first need to increase our awareness and knowledge about ourselves in a very individual and particular way. Many times when I start working with a client, I see the exact opposite of this happening. They are so focused on their spouse and what their spouse is or isn't doing that they have left a big part of themselves out of the equation. What I mean is that there are some parts of themselves that are still somewhat mysterious or hidden even to themselves. This signifies that perhaps there are emotional aspects of themselves that they have not been willing to face at the conscious level yet. And even the actual 
physical intricacies of sexual intimacy have not been dealt with in particular detail or individually enough to actually make the difference they are searching for. This might show up in the form of consumerism. We are constantly surrounded by consumerism and the notion that if we just buy this one thing, we will feel better about our lives. Most vices will fall into this category as well, keeping us in a place where we avoid doing the work on a real and deep enough level that will help us move forward in a beneficial and healthy way. Anything that is done in excess or overdone is also a form in which we avoid knowing ourselves as deeply as we need to. Overdrinking, overspending, overworking, over TV watching, over gaming, over escaping, over Facebooking or Instagramming, overeating or even over hobbying, anything done in excess keeps us from ourselves and keeps us from knowing ourselves on the deeper levels we could be getting to. Keeping the deepest part of ourselves at bay will also keep deep intimacy at bay as well. The deeper we know ourselves, the deeper intimacy can become. When we think about intimacy, how well do we know our own thoughts about what makes intimacy good and what makes it not so good? Do we really know the thoughts we have about how we view ourselves as a sexual being? Do those thoughts bring feelings of guilt and shame with it? Or do they bring feelings of acceptance, compassion, and love? These are two great questions we can ask ourselves to start to dig deep in this very personal way. Our feelings can reveal quite a bit to us about ourselves. If we are feeling guilty about wanting to be sexually active with our spouse, what thoughts are we having personally that are unique to us that are triggering feelings of guilt? If we are feeling like we want to avoid being sexually active with our spouse, what thoughts are we having personally that are unique to us that are triggering feelings of avoidance? This information is very important for each of us to be able to enhance our own awareness about our personal thoughts on intimacy. If we are constantly feeling angry about being physically intimate with our spouse, why is that? What particular thoughts are we thinking that trigger feelings of anger? Most likely, feelings of anger will signify that we are focused more on our spouse's attributes or actions towards sex rather than our own. This will also signify that we are making huge assumptions about what our spouse's actions mean about us on a personal level, even if our spouse never intended those meanings in the first place. This also signifies that we are applying meanings that most likely go against the meanings that our spouse actually intended. So we are applying our own significance to what our spouse is doing, and then getting mad at them for the meaning we gave it. This is a trap that happens all the time. 
I have seen it over and over again. And it's not that either spouse is really trying to do any of this on purpose. They don't even realize the effect of what they are doing. But the effects can be very deep, making better intimacy seem like a far stretch and maybe even impossible at times. Now, this is not anyone's fault. Humans just do this. Humans who have not been taught a better way will continue to do this. Each of us will probably continue to make assumptions about our spouse's actions and its significance if we don't try to do things differently and actually use skills and tools in these situations. We also have to remember that just because we think and feel a certain way about intimacy does not mean our spouse will think and feel the same as us. The trap I see with this is that one spouse will project their thoughts and interpretations about intimacy on to their spouse. The best way we can help ourselves in this area is to increase our awareness about the real thoughts we have about being intimate with our spouse. And I mean the real thoughts. The rude thoughts, the gross thoughts, the embarrassing thoughts, the shallow thoughts, the real honest and messy thoughts we have about it. We need to know what they are, acknowledge them, and see how they are triggering us to feel. And we need to do this from strictly an observing point of view, not from a judgmental point of view. We need to be curious why we think the thoughts we do and allow our curiosity to give us perspective. If we can increase our thought awareness when we feel angry about sex, we will really learn which particular thoughts keep us from enjoying intimacy on a deeper level. And this is so key. Now, if we look at the second definition for the word personal, it means we will make the effort to take a hard look at our private life versus our public life or our professional life, including the private type of activities and emotions that we are involved in. Our public life and our private life are not the same. Unless we have entered into our marriage strictly as business partners with the understanding that certain things will be supplied as other demands are met. But if you did not agree to a business-style marriage, then private matters will be involved. The word personal means relating to the person or the body. If we keep avoiding what actually works for our bodies and what works to get us in the mood for sexual intimacy, we are avoiding the personal part of intimacy. This is another trap that I find most of my female clients in. They know what turns them off pretty easily, but they don't know in detail the particulars of what actually turns them on. This is something that only each female can define for herself. Female desire and arousal is a very unique concoction. It is totally a personal and unique thing. What turns one woman on may be the total opposite of what turns another woman on. 
Each woman needs to define what turns them on personally in their own unique way. One of my favorite examples of this has to do with music. There are definitely certain songs, certain artists, and certain albums that really contribute to me feeling in the mood to be intimate with my husband. I have learned that these particular songs and albums are unique to me and to my arousal. When other women have asked me to give them some songs that might work for them, it never does because they are not me. The songs that work for me and for my reasons are not the ones that work for them and their reasons. Every woman is unique in this way, and it would be very beneficial for every woman to know which specific songs work for her in particular so that she can put them on herself and help prepare herself for intimacy. This is personal knowledge, and this is personal intimacy. If you don't even know what works for your own body, how is your spouse going to know? How will your spouse know what to work with? They won't. They will be in a constant state of guessing. They will not have knowledge. This is a total disadvantage for everyone involved, making the entire process of sexual intimacy that much more frustrating. Personal intimacy means knowing your own unique thoughts about intimacy, the good thoughts and the bad ones. It means knowing your own unique feelings about intimacy, the good ones and the bad ones. It means knowing your unique wants when it comes to intimacy, why you want those things in particular, and what you would make it mean if you got those things. It also means that you have a clear knowledge of your unique style of emotional desire and the different components that contribute to it in a positive way, as well as what detracts from it. And it also means that you know which elements add to increase the levels of your unique physical arousal that is particular to you and nobody else. Knowing what elements block your arousal from naturally coming through is also key to developing this side of yourself. For the husbands listening to this podcast, this might mean that you may need to spend more time focusing on the emotional aspect of sexual intimacy in order to increase your own personal intimacy. Perhaps your increased focus on your own personal thoughts and emotions will allow for more space for your wife to focus more on the real physical part of what is going on in her body. I'm guessing that most men are already pretty in tune with what turns them on physically, but the reality is that most women don't have this same level of knowledge when it comes to what turns them on. Their knowledge may be fierce when it comes to what turns them off or about the emotional aspect of it all, but the physical piece may still be underdeveloped. This is a call for increased knowledge in this area, and each spouse could spend more time in the area that they are not as familiar with yet. 
As we learned, the word personal, when it comes to intimacy, means proceeding from a single person. Now, I find this definition to be very intriguing because we often think of intimacy as existing between two people. But the trap here is that if we don't use our intimate knowledge about ourselves on a deeper level, how will intimacy proceed forward in a way that is beneficial and meaningful for both spouses? This means that the word personal is reminding us that the way our intimacy works for us is something that comes from within ourselves first. We have to acknowledge it and understand ourselves first in order to share it with our spouse on a level that matters. Otherwise, if we continue to blame lack of satisfaction with intimacy on our spouse and do nothing about it ourselves, we will continue to be less than satisfied with it. Intimacy needs to proceed from each of us individually first. Now, to proceed means to begin or continue a course of action. Proceed also means to move forward, especially after reaching a certain point. It also means to do something as the next step. It can also mean to come forth from a certain source. So are we understanding this concept yet? We are the source for our intimacy. We are the ones who can have an influence on it, especially through our thoughts about it. Sometimes we proceed with something after it has been on pause for a while or after it has been interrupted. Do any of us feel like our intimacy has been on pause? Or do we feel like there are things that interrupt it? When we try to proceed and move forward with intimacy, it means that we will attempt to do so in an orderly way, like moving through a class and advancing. If we don't know what turns us on and off emotionally, And if we don't know what turns us on and off physically, we still have some work to do. Because if we don't know this about ourselves, we will continue to blame our spouse for our lack of feeling turned on and for our lack of knowledge about how to create those feelings within ourselves. And we will keep expecting them to somehow magically know all these things about us. This puts undue weight on each spouse. For intimacy to proceed forward, there is also an emphasis on the origin of the intimacy. Each of us are the origin of our intimacy, and it is manifest currently through our thoughts and feelings. If we wish it could be better, we totally have a say in it. Healthy relationships develop when two people work on understanding themselves at a higher level and take responsibility for their thoughts and emotions at a higher level and then meet up with the love of their life to share and make these things known to one another and to discuss and evolve together. This is incredibly healthy and it feels way better too. 
This really reminds me of Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He is a very well-known psychologist who developed a type of pyramid that addresses the different levels of human needs and how we progress from the bottom level up through each different one until we reach the top of the pyramid. The lowest and widest level addresses the physiological needs humans have to survive. This includes food, water, shelter, clothing, and sleep. The next level up deals with safety needs, such as personal security, as well as emotional and financial security. It will be very difficult to reach this second level if our needs from the first level have not been met, and if we are worried about where we are going to get our next meal. When I served as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I was in Houston, Texas for a year and a half, and we were taught this exact concept, and we were taught to serve the people we met who were struggling with their first-level needs well before we tried to teach them a spiritual concept higher up in the pyramid. We would ask them how we could help, and we did whatever we could to serve them and help them get any of the other resources available to them that they might be in need of. After one particular storm, the area was really flooded. We did not do any preaching of the gospel at that time. We went out and tried to help people clean their homes, get rid of excess water, and make sure they had food. It was a great time of service and meeting basic needs. Now, the third level uh, deals with social needs and a feeling of belonging. This includes friendships, connections with family members, as well as intimate relationships. As we get closer to the top of the pyramid, we get to the esteem needs, where we address our sense of value through our feelings of accomplishment, attention for what we do and who we are, and receiving recognition. And finally, at the peak of the pyramid, we have the level of self-actualization. This is where self-development takes place. This is where we work on developing our abilities and skills and where we make good use of our talents. This is also where our passions reside and where we use them to make our dreams a reality. And this is also where we start to really tap into our full potential. Even marriage has seemed to evolve over the centuries, almost right in line with Maslow's pyramid of needs. This would explain a lot of the dissatisfaction found with intimacy if it only reaches the first few levels, when we as humans are living at a much higher level in this day and age. This lines up with intimacy as well, as needing to proceed and move forward through the different levels, leaving the lower needs for intimacy behind and moving up to the higher needs, of viewing it as a more full, more complete, more thorough form of self-development, self-actualization, and reaching our fullest potential. This can even relate to the definition of the word personal, where it says it relates to someone's private affairs, their character, 
their conduct, and their motives. What are your motives for intimacy? Is it simply for duty? Is it to make sure your financial needs are being met and to have a sense of security? But what if our motive for intimacy had to do with developing ourselves to our highest potential as a human and as a child of God? What if our motive was to use our talents and our passions and creativity to help us develop intimacy in a way that makes our marriage strong and amazing and helps us get closer to achieving our dreams? Being involved in this kind of work with wonderful motives for self-development at a higher level is what makes living on the earth more fun and exciting and much more enjoyable. If we just continue to focus on what isn't working and what we don't like about intimacy, we are spending our time and energy on something that doesn't actually bring us closer to what we truly want, and that can feel very frustrating. If we don't take the time to dive into what really works for us individually when it comes to intimacy, we leave ourselves very vulnerable and open to outside influence. And we know that the adversary will want to influence in a way that keeps us down and makes us weak. He does not want strong marriages. He will try to distract us and keep us from improving the intimacy in our marriage. He will try to take our attention away from intimacy through the distraction of social media, consumerism, and anything else, and we cannot fall for it. If we don't know what specific things contribute to our intimacy being all that it can be, we need to spend some time finding out. For the women, we may need to spend a little more time focusing on the physical and sexual aspect of it, since this seems to be the area that most of my clients try to avoid. If you are unsure of how to go about that, the good news is that I will be releasing a mini course very soon that is highly focused on intimacy, including the things that contribute to physical arousal and emotional desire for intimacy, as well as the things that detract from it. So keep your eyes and ears open for that in the near future. But you can start by asking yourself, what actually contributes to your feeling turned on when it comes to, let's say, your home environment? Think about this in detail and see if you can pinpoint what in your environment helps you get in the mood. Is it candles? Maybe wearing a certain robe or certain attire? Listening to certain music? Define it for yourself so that you know it on a very deep and personal level, and it becomes knowledge. And once you know this for yourself, you can create it and make sure it's included in your intimate experience. And then you can share this part of yourself and the enjoyment of it with your spouse. And for the husbands, you may need to focus on the emotional aspect of personal intimacy more than the physical. The adversary will try to distract you from this kind of intimacy in all kinds of ways. 
and will keep putting things in front of you to keep you primarily focused on the physical and sexual aspects of intimacy. What aspect of intimacy do you need to further develop in order to increase your self-actualization and abilities as an individual? Perhaps it's affectionate intimacy, where you focus on holding hands or giving hugs or cuddling without any other expectations. Or maybe it's communication intimacy, where you focus on really listening to what your wife is saying and making sure you really understand her correctly and thoroughly. You can start by asking yourself, when can I be more affectionate with my wife without it leading to sex? Or when can I hold her hand more often? Or did I really get what she meant when she said that earlier today? How can I make sure we are having meaningful conversations at least once a day? Now, one of the final points I want to make about personal intimacy is this. If any of the women are unsure if they have had an orgasm, please educate yourself on this topic. Educating yourself on this has nothing to do with pornography, and it does not have to be involved in any way, shape, or form. Please read educational, scientific, or medical books yourself on how to achieve an orgasm, looking at it from a scientific and medical point of view. And if sexual intercourse is painful, this is a medical condition that needs the attention of a medical doctor. Those are the two main physical factors that make intercourse and therefore intimacy a challenge and will for sure need your attention or the attention of a doctor to make sure it gets addressed. Most other issues that make orgasm, intercourse, and intimacy difficult has to do with how we are thinking about it or our lack of self-care. Now, as we get to the end of this episode, let's turn to the scriptures and read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, which says, He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. I love how this scripture reminds us of our personal contribution when it comes to the results we get. We can apply this to most things in life, including intimacy. If we plant the seeds of intimacy sparingly in our lives, meaning in a restricted way or in small quantities or infrequently, our results will also be intimacy that is sparse. But if we plant the seeds of intimacy bountifully, more generously and abundantly within our mind and hearts, the results will also be bounteous. We have a huge say in it, and that is a wonderful thing. This next week, let's see if we can challenge ourselves to climb up Maslow's hierarchy of needs and reach for the level of self-actualization 
when it comes to intimacy on a personal and meaningful level. Let's see if we can really define our deepest thoughts about intimacy, both the positive ones and the negative ones. Let's increase our awareness of all the types of feelings we are having about intimacy. Let's acknowledge what we really want our intimate lives to be like moving forward, knowing that our personal development is totally tied to it and that we can contribute to it by the seeds we are planting. Personal intimacy has to do with really knowing all sides of ourselves, taking care of and nurturing those sides, and then sharing those sides with our spouse. Because remember, the more you restore that type of intimacy with yourself, the more you restore it with your spouse. Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope you will join me again next week.